Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Thanks so much for joining me. As always, really appreciate it. This week, I'm speaking with Dakota from Inspire Exotics. Now, Dakota is an amazing person to talk to when it comes to all things herpetology. Now, you say, what the heck's herpetology? That's reptiles and vertebrates. So we're talking lizards, snakes, bugs, spiders, all that kind of stuff. All the kind of things that that you say and people go, ugh. And we're going to talk all about, you know, that uh, that bad rap that uh, reptiles and spiders and bugs and all that kind of stuff have and, and why that's the case. Um, I think we're going to learn from Dakota that maybe that's not warranted, that uh, these reptiles, these bugs, these spiders are, are pretty awesome. I think that it's kind of that... that Fear is built in, so I promise to you that there is no uh, there's no pictures here. That's maybe that's one one time for for some people that are afraid that this is good that it's a podcast and not one that uh, has uh, has pictures. Um, I, I we we don't go into to graphic details at all. You know, we talk about the different animals, uh, the different reptiles, what got her interested in that world, uh, what her favorites are. Her world now kind of is a science communicator. She does have a, a large following on social media. I found on Instagram over 100,000 followers there. So she must be doing something right when it comes to explaining these reptiles. And I think you're going to learn that she certainly is. She's, uh, she's really good at kind of explaining with the passion of, of what makes these animals so amazing. Uh, we're going to talk all about just the world of herpetology. Uh, I, uh, you know, I've talked to other people in the science world when it comes to astrophysics and geology and marine biology and just conservation people, just all kinds of amazing people. Just yet again, another person in that world, this time with with animals and and reptiles, namely. Um, She's going to mention it, too, but it's just so important to have women in STEM women doing these amazing things because you know we don't say it in this this podcast but i've said it in other ones before and and we've talked about it in other ones before that it's really important to have uh people that look like others that you know to inspire to be you know that have that diversity have that representation you know when a young person is thinking about what they're going to be when they grow up and they're in second grade third grade and trying to decide if they see adults that look like them and they are doing those jobs it's a lot more likely that they're like hey i can do that too so i i think that's amazing i i i I love uh, dakota's passion in this i love you know her explanations i don't know that i've ever said in this podcast but you're going to learn in college i actually worked at a pet store so we talk a little bit about that i don't have near the knowledge she does not even close uh but uh, i'll mention a few stories from that uh, but uh, yeah, between talking about all these animals, between sharing her passion, talking about you know living in the social media world and dealing with criticism, all of that, uh, we will uh, we'll have a, a really fun conversation. I think you're you're really going to enjoy this one. So I do want to mention there was a small sound issue about seven minutes into the conversation, so about ten minutes on your dial uh, during one of her answers. I think she she was having some kind of interference. We stopped the podcast, which you won't notice, and, and got that fixed. Uh, so 
bear with her when she's talking about the the substrate and uh, and kind of the the homing of the animals because that's the one time that it kind of there's like a, a kind of a, a high pitched sound just lightly behind her. Of course, I worry about the sound, but uh, not a big issue there. Such an amazing conversation, and uh, I think you're going to enjoy this one. Here is Dakota from Inspire Exotics. I'm here today with Dakota of Inspire Exotics. Dakota, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. Well, we we talked. We just said exotic, so I think that mm-hmm. kind of perks people's interest. Just introduce yourself. So my name is Dakota from Inspire Exotics. I'm an exotic pet content creator, educator, and keeper. I currently have about nine lizards, some frogs, some other bugs, and arthropods. Um, and that's really my passion. I'm in school right now, double majoring in veterinary science and biology with the end goal of really working with animals in my career. I think that's awesome. And we're going to get into a little bit later, kind of the stigma that all these things that you just talked about have lizards and bugs and arthropods. I, I, I never want to, you know, assume anyone knows anything. So anytime anyone throws a word out that people may not know, kind of stop there. So what's an arthropod? I'm arthropod saying that right is- myself. Yes, you are. It's really anything without an exoskeleton. So it fall like crabs, um, roly polies, spiders. They all fall under that category. Hmm. So what got you interested in this? I think the kind of the realm that we're talking about is, is a herp- herpetology. What got you interested in that? Yeah. So herpetology, just the study of reptiles and amphibians and You know, I think for me, growing up autistic, I struggled with communication and social connections, which made, you know, my being in the foster system and moving around all the more difficult. But early on, I really found that solace in animals, especially the misunderstood ones for obvious on the nose reasons. Um, I never had a pet as a child, but I could always be found outside. The lizards, the tortoises, the snakes, the frogs, tarantulas, beetles, worms. We had a lot of those growing up in the desert. Um, And I was sort of just learning from nature and my autism definitely gave me a different perspective that helped me appreciate and even relate to the weird weird animals Um, and then pandemic time came I had all this extra time on my hands and I took in an ancient bearded dragon and an unwanted hermit crab who had been a classroom pet and you know as I was doing research to make sure I took care of them correctly I discovered this entire community of exotic pet keepers and then even deeper a huge number of exotic pets that in need of rescue and a home and I of course wanted to adopt them all and give them a safe loving home I wanted to save them all which of course you can't always do that but I did what I could and you know you know I sometimes wonder if that inherent sense of wanting to save those animals came from how much I had wanted to be adopted into a safe, loving home as a child in the foster system. But, you know, regardless from malnourished geckos to snails with crushed shells, I rescued, rehabilitated, and ethically rehomed over 50 animals. And I never charged a fee to find these animals' homes. I just requested proof of a good enclosure, which is how I kind of wish it was everywhere. But that's really how I got into it. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, I, uh, you know, obviously I, I never know where these answers are going to go. I mean, I expected that answer to be more like, you know, oh, I just I just looked at him and I thought they were cool. But it's a very deep reason. I mean, you've got some some really big, uh, I guess, reasons for it. So I had no idea it was it was quite what it is. So that's that's pretty awesome that it's uh, I guess it's led you in the direction that you that you went. Um, I want to ask you, you know, the, the question was, what was your first animal that you got? 
you know, in, in the exotic world, I think it sounds like you kind of answered it. Is it that ancient bearded dragon mm-hmm. in the, in the hermit crab? Mm-hmm. Yeah. My first ever reptile that I took care of was that ancient bearded dragon. She was 15 blind. Her front legs didn't work and she was so sassy. She was feisty. I called her Grammy and her owner had gone off to college and she was becoming with her old age, she was becoming more high maintenance for the parents of the owner to take care of. So they wanted me to give her love and like a good home for it to sort of make sure she passed on peacefully um, and with lots of love. And I just, I loved her personality. Like I said, she was sassy. She was feisty, but she was very, very loving when she came to trust me. And she's a big reason why I sort of specialize in exotic pets in um, with lizards specifically. And I love snakes and frogs and tortoises, but lizards are really where it's at for me because of her. And then the first uh, reptile that I ever officially adopted and raised was also a bearded dragon named Pluto, who I still have and is the also still very high maintenance. They're high maintenance lizards for sure. I love them. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know very much about reptiles and I I don't act (laughs) like I do, but what I'll tell you is in college, which I've forgotten pretty much everything I've, I ever knew, but in college, Mm -hmm. I actually worked at a pet store um, you know, part-time. So I do know a little bit about, you know, these, these different lizards. And and from what I remember, bearded dragons definitely are the, the ones with the most personality. They're the ones that definitely. cared that we were there more than any of the other ones. I mean, like mm-hmm. the, the leopard geckos hid, the Chinese water dragons would always try to bite me, but the bearded dragons were pretty chill. So mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't surprise me that uh, those are the ones that you've kind of fallen in love with a little bit more. Uh, mm-hmm. I want to ask you, um, because you, you're kind of giving me also flashbacks of, I don't know, about a, a year ago, I feel like YouTube has, I guess, little little pockets of pretty much anything that you ever want to find on there. And like a year ago, I, I kind of got hooked into watching all these people show their, you know, exotic animal collection, which is a, is a huge part of YouTube. I've almost forgotten about it until I look behind you and you've got all of these different cages. I want to, mm-hmm. uh, I guess I, I rarely kind of talk about, you know, the visual aspect because most people are listening to this and can't see it. But I want I want you to talk a little bit about your your I guess your setup back there. And then also just as a goofy thing, what what what's your shirt? You look like you're wearing a very bright oh, it's yes. like flowers. That's cool. I like that. Yeah, it's Van Gogh sunflower art. Well, that's awesome. Yes. Very cool. So <laughs> tell us about those enclosures. Yeah, definitely. So all of these enclosures behind me, this is sort of like my more glass enclosure. I've got more enclosures over there that you can't see on the camera. Let's see, I've got my crested gecko, my Pac-Man frog, leopard geckos back here. Right behind me is Pebbles, my chameleon gecko. And those are a lot of my enclosures. And all of my enclosures are actually bioactive, which is sort of kind of a new thing in the reptile community. It's just instead of the fake plants and like the no substrate, you've got a really like a living ecosystem and you've got live plants in there that grow. And I've got grow lights on top to really help that. And then in the soil itself, I have little roly polies that are called isopods and they eat the waste. They break down the organic matter and they return those nutrients to the soil so the plants continue to grow. And it's really the goal of bioactive keeping is to replicate the reptile's environment as closely as possible. Because my goal with reptile keeping is to keep them thriving rather than just surviving. And I think that's sort of becoming the new standard with reptile keeping, not necessarily bioactive, but ensuring that the reptiles are not just surviving. They're not being given the bare minimum. They've got enrichment. They've got the opportunity to exhibit their natural behaviors. 
And that's really my goal is to help them even with my social media and with my future careers to make sure that these animals are getting the best that we can give them. I like that. So you said something about the the soil and having the, what do you say, isopods? Is that the right word? Mm -hmm. Yes. And it, so is this, I, I guess I think about like, you know, bearded dragons and what they eat. Are they eating these things in there or are they too small to, to eat? They will sometimes eat them. We have things that are like dwarf white isopods, which are really tiny, almost microscopic. Um, I use a combination of dwarf white isopods and powder orange isopods. The dwarfs are really tiny. The powders are a little bit bigger and orange colored. They're really pretty. Um, and they're also very fast, so they run away. But it's sort of one of those natural things. They'll reproduce in the tank because um, bearded dragons produce more than enough waste for them to break down. And they, if they get picked off, it's really not a huge deal because they'll be continuing to reproduce if your if your conditions are correct. Hmm. Yeah, that's something something I've never heard of at all. What? How do you make sure that you, I guess, manage the? I don't know how fast they reproduce, but I mean, it can turn into an isopod tank if you're not careful. I guess. Mm -hmm. Definitely, and that's also. I remember at work, we built a leopard gecko tank and we didn't have a leopard gecko in it for a very long time because we wanted to sell it, but it was like fully bioactive. We had only powder oranges in there. So there's like no competition even between the isopod species. Mm. And when we would water it, the ground would just come alive and turn bright orange. Mm. So I feel like having an animal in there that's picking these off can definitely help the population for sure. Even having like my method is competition between the isopod species. Um, cause if you are taking care of it correctly, you are right. They can definitely overpopulate that like quick. Yeah. I want you to tell us, you said at work. And then you said earlier that you're going to school for this. Talk a little bit about, I guess, your, your background in, in it. Mm -hmm. I, I know that, you know, personally you're, I guess in the, the hobby, but a little bit more than that. So talk about what you're, what you're doing beyond that. Definitely. So I mentioned work. I used to work at a local exotic pet store. Um, and a lot of pet stores around town have this sort of negative idea around them. I think mostly stemmed from chain pet stores, which will just pump out animals and not really give people correct information. But this was a small business exotic pet store. The owners were incredibly passionate. And it was one of those things that's like they actually got ZooMed store of the year like twice. Mm -hmm. um, but they were big on bioactive keeping, big on improving the husbandry and it was a really like a hole-in-the-wall shop that had these incredible beautiful zoo quality enclosures and their animals were healthy they're really changing the reptile community for the better and it was mm -hmm. such an uh, incredible opportunity to work from them and learn from the best um and so i did that for about a year i just left that job let's see maybe like three months ago now mm -hmm. because i had moved and it was like a 40 minute drive down there so i would say i still go there like once a week for feeder insects and to say hi um, and now I mostly work um, in education success. Um, but my other sort of background in this is I am double majoring in biology and veterinary science. And I've only got a year left after this semester is done. So I've been doing some of those higher level courses that are more specific to my major. And honestly, learning about, you know, the anatomy, the physiology, it's been really helpful to my my. Um, personal passions, keeping these animals, making sure that they're healthy. And I take things like this year, I'm taking an insect biology course, and I've taken botany courses. And it's just all really fascinating. It's really, I think, increasing my knowledge in a better way to support these animals through education online and through my future career and whatever I do decide to do.
No, I think that's awesome. And my next question, I guess, is a little bit about, you know, you talked about going to school for it. So I come at this in two different ways. One is I had somebody on that, you know, got really interested in astrophysics and she was in school for it. And then she took a break and she realized kind of the, the educational side of things, kind of talking about it in layman terms, easy to understand was where her passion was and that really mm-hmm. high level stuff. She may go back to school, but she wasn't exactly sure. So I, so that's part of it. But then also my day job is as an academic counselor. So I, every, every day I talk about this type of stuff. So my question to you would be, you know, obviously you're kind of a, a hobbyist with it. You're a little bit more than that, you know, or you're a lot more than that. But I, I would ask you now that you're, you're going to school for it, are you just as passionate about the academic higher level, you know, figuring out the Latin terms and the exact diversity studies and all this kind of really technical stuff is, do you have as much passion for that as you do of just simply, you know, helping orphaned species? I personally do. And I actually, I love that you brought that up because um, I've worked as a writer for over five years now. And it's something that I do for fun for over a decade. And I would love to be a science communicator. I feel like putting out all these like fancy terms and stuff. It's something that I really love to like differentiate different species. Like even the roly polies, the isopods I was talking about earlier, there are thousands of hundreds of thousands of different species of those and some of them look really similar and I just I really like laying them all out and just differentiating between all of those but it's not something that the common person really needs to know if they're not into that um so I just really like sharing these guys and maybe like drawing more people into it to them to learn on their own some more um and I would really love to pursue a career as a science communicator really because reptiles amphibians there are so much misinformation online. I think that a lot of that comes because people just, they see a big term, like even just herpetology and they're like, I don't know what that is. I'm like, they get scared and they leave and just really drawing people in with a sense of understanding and compassion. And it's like, you're not going to get graded on this. It's something that you learn for fun and making it STEM fun for people. And that's something that I love to do with like these hands-on activities, bringing my animals to schools and like reducing the fear and also starting these kids out early so that they're not, they don't see STEM as something that's like research papers and data and all this weird stuff that they might not be interested in, but they see it as something like an opportunity to learn and just engage with the natural world. Yeah, I think that's cool. And I want you to tell us a little bit about the things that you do in, in schools. I've looked at your your Instagram. I, I see that you, you know, you're you're going to schools, you're bringing these animals. Talk a little bit about that. So a lot of people will associate lizards, snakes, frogs, especially bugs with disease. Um, they think that they're gross. I get comments all the time on Instagram that are like, gross, or you're gonna get salmonella. I'm like, that's not entirely true. Um, there's just a general fear surrounding these animals that I think was caused by media, just general society. You see snakes portrayed as the bad guy, even in cartoons for young children. Um, Cockroaches are associated with nasty disease, even though they actually break down waste and keep the earth clean for us. And really, there's only like one or two species of cockroach that will cause you disease. And there's so many beautiful species. Um, So my goal in doing these programs for school children is to show them these animals in a positive light helping them recognize that they play an important role in the environment and are beings to be respected, not feared. 
Um, for example, one of the very first school programs I ever did, I taught second graders about scorpions. And I had a big fat scorpion named Mr. Happy. And when I first brought him out, he was in his little glass 10 gallon tank. And there were screams and there were tall tales of relatives who were chased by scorpions and they don't chase you. Um, but after showing them like the cool and beneficial side, I was like, they glow and, you know, they help with pest control. There were actually kids asking to hold Mr. Happy. And then, of course, I, you know, educating them about there's still animals that need to be respected um, because they will protect themselves if they need to. But that doesn't make them bad. Um, and then I brought, you know, my big bearded dragon to schools. He's a hefty boy. He's about two feet long. And the kids will be scared of them at first and they'll hesitantly touch him. They're like, oh, my gosh, is he going to bite? And then as they get used to it, they're like, oh, my gosh, can I hold him? He's so cute. I want one as a pet. And same with my Madagascar hissing cockroaches and with the spiders, but with good education, they eventually come to appreciate these animals. And like I said, even want one for a pet as themselves. Uh, children are very, very impressionable. And I think it's important to teach them early about you know important things like this before society and the media get them to further ingrain that stigma that these animals are weird or bad or scary. And then there's also the self aspect. Um, overcoming a fear and holding something you were once scared of that confidence that comes with that and you know I've worked in exotic pet stores where we have adults who won't even come into the store because there are snakes on that side of the wall or they scream when they see the spiders on display and the animals really don't deserve that fear most of them will don't want to hurt you none of them want to hurt you so most of them will protect themselves if they need to but a lot of them are just really cool chill guys <laughs> and it's this fear is unnecessary and i think with proper education i think those stigmas can be replaced by respect and understanding and that's my goal starting early with the kids no i think that's that's important and it's impactful for sure I like, I like, you know, you, you, you've thrown out a few of the names of these things. You had a, a bearded dragon Grammy. You had a Mr. Happy scorpion go. I mean, this will give you an opportunity to tell us a little bit about some of the different animals that you have, but go through the names. I feel like you've got some cool names. I had a Mexican red knee tarantula that I named Eric because I, I like, mm -hmm. I like giving, you know, you know, strange animals, just mm -hmm. very basic human names, but I like your yes. names too. So talk a little bit about that. Definitely. I totally agree with you. Just like sort of humanizing them. All of my spiders have ridiculous names. Let's see. I've got a neon blue leg tarantula, which is this spider with bright blue, like iridescent blue legs named Bubbles. I have other tarantulas. I've got a tater tot. I got Pooter, Plop, Meep, Squeeb. And they're just all ridiculous names. And I love it because it just sort of people inherently fear these animals, but they're not something to be feared. And that's why I give them these really stupid names to sort of not humanize them, but to make them seem like, oh, they're just a pet like any other. Yeah. Um, and let's see, Pluto is my big yellow bearded dragon who's in a lot of my videos. Um, I also have Blueberry Muffin, a little jeweled Lacerda, which is he's a baby right now, but eventually he'll be a big blue lizard. Let's see, I've got Tomato and Vincent the Leopard Geckos, Kronos the Crested Gecko, let's see, I have Cannoli the Green Anole, Asparagus the Pac-Man Frog, a big blob of frog named after the Pac-Man because they're just basically mouths with eyes. Um, let's see, what else we have? I've got a Euromastix, he's brand new, named Mr. Toad, and... 
So most of my names are really just based on either Greek mythology, like when I first started, I was really into that, or it'll be something dumb for like spiders and the scary animals, or just something that relates to their personality. Like Mr. Toad, I had no idea what to name him forever. And then I was like, Mr. Toad, it just sort of clicked because that's his sort of personality, like um, in the books, Frog and Toad. And I was like, that's just kind of his personality. He's like, bold when the enclosure door is shut but as soon as i open it he just runs away and he's like no so i'm still working on socializing him but i was like that's a perfect name for him i like that and i want to ask you you talked about taking these two you know schools and stuff like that and respecting their boundaries do you have some i'm i may be pointing at the bearded dragon just because i i've known plenty do you have any that you think kind of soak up and eat up the attention and like being handled and, and dealt with is Pluto that way or, or what's it, what's it look like? Definitely Pluto. Pluto is a big, he has his first ever, you know, experience with lots of children at once. He was a little shy at first, but then eventually he was just loving the attention and all the pets. And I brought the kids, um, those big blue worms to feed him and that he was loving it. He was like, I got food. I got warm human bodies. I'm, I'm good to go. Um, there are a lot of animals where they might not, they tolerate being handled for the most part reptiles. There are some that are much more personable than others. So being with all those kids, it's even important. Sometimes the animals get overwhelmed and that's a really great learning opportunity. Like he's not ready to be held right now. Let's give him 10 minutes to sort of come, you know, relax a bit, sort of calm down. And then we can try again. And it's sort of like teaching these kids, like these animals have body language, they, they don't want to hurt you, but they might defend themselves if they need to. And these are the signs you can watch for. Um, and it's just a good way to show like these animals, even if you aren't scared of them, you should still respect them and their boundaries. And here's how to recognize that. Yeah, those are all really important things. And this is a tough question. I, you can answer it or you can say it's impossible, but you know, you, you deal with so many different reptiles and bugs and insects and spiders and all this type of stuff do you have a certain species that's your favorite that is a tough question let's see of my animals i could never pick a favorite it's just so cool how they all have like very strong personalities like if they were to switch bodies like if my bearded dragon and my crested gecko switched bodies i could still tell them completely apart by the just by how they act and I just like them all for different reasons. A lot of people assume my big yellow bearded dragon Pluto is my favorite because he's always on my shoulder in videos, but that's just because he's he's super chill and just along for the ride. Um, but I do definitely have favorite reptiles in general and reptiles that I really want to keep one day. So I think my dream lizard that I would love to keep is a red-eyed crocodile skink or an abronia graminea alligator lizard. And those are like science terms. But if you get a chance, you should definitely look them up. They're both very mythical dragon-looking lizards. The red-eyed crocodile skink is like jet black. And he's got like the dragon-shaped head with the, sh with the spines. And he's got just a red splotch around his eye. And the alligator lizard is this like really smooth green. He's got the scales. He don't they don't even look real. They're so incredible looking. Um, and then my dream snake that I would keep is a white-lipped python. 
they're this really big and they they're iridescent they're black but they have an iridescent sheen to them and then like a lighter underbelly um and they're just so gorgeous they're with so proper socialization like with handling they're they become super docile and they're really pretty I would love to keep them but my favorite snake that I'm not sure if I would ever keep is a bush viper which is they're very venomous and there's no anti-venom for them right now um but they're a pretty small snake they've got like really sharp spines they look so dragon-like they look like they would be in mythical artwork they don't look real and I've gotten the opportunity to work with them before and they're really not that intimidating you just have to like they're so cute you want to pet them and it's like no don't do that because mm. Yeah, I would love to keep venomous reptiles one day, but for now, when I have a separate room for just the venomous reptiles, for sure. And then probably my dream arthropod is a captive bred Brazilian jewel tarantula. They're they're small, they're sparkly, they're gorgeous, but they're endangered in the wild. But there are captive breeding programs for them. And I would love to be a part of the captive breeding programs, just like helping increase their population. And that goes being said, the exotic pet community is doing a lot of work to keep these animals that are endangered in the wild um, afloat. Like, for example, the crested gecko. They're this really cute, derpy looking gecko. They were actually thought to be extinct in the wild. They live in Madagascar. They were thought to be extinct for like 30 years. And then they were just rediscovered, I think, like 20 or 30 years ago. And they are still endangered in the wild because of climate change and invasive species. And so the reptile community has really like increased their population a lot. There's so many captive breeding programs. There's so many different like morphs now. Like mine is a little brown lizard with spots, but you can find them like bright white. You'd find them jet black now, like any color in between. And it's really cool how there are definitely some negatives to the exotic pet community when it comes to introducing invasive species in places. But I think with increased education, that's definitely decreasing. Um, and they do like, they have a lot of, they play a huge role in keeping these animals from their populations from going to zero. Now, those are all really important things. I want to ask you now about, uh, you know, you, you kind of got into the, to the, the world of this, the, the hobby of keeping reptiles because, you know, there was a, a few that, uh, you know, desperately needed a home. Talk a little bit about the need for, for more I guess, rehoming and, and rescue in this, uh, in the reptile world. Definitely. So a lot of people don't realize that these animals, they, a lot of them will get bigger, but a lot of them live a very, very long time, especially if you take care of them correctly. Um, and people like, like with mom, Grammy, the bearded dragon, her owner went off to college. So kids will get these, like teenagers will get these lizards and then they go off to college and there's no plan for it. Cause most dorms don't allow lizards. Um, partially, I think because of the stigma, but also partially for good reasons, like the lamps can be a fire hazard if you don't like plug them in correctly. Um, and also like the bugs and stuff, people don't like the bugs. <laughs> um, but I do think that people will get them because they look cool even. And then they realize that it's way more work than they think it is. And so they'll just try to give them away on like sell them on Craigslist. Um, people will buy them for their young child because they think they're a low maintenance pet. But it turns out to be more work or the kid even gets bored of them. So they got to get rid of them. And reptiles are not a cheap animal. Um, they need the enclosure. They need the heat lamps and the UVB. 
Um, they're a much more specialized pet than a dog or a cat that you can just let free roam around the house and like put its food and water into a bowl. They need like variety. They need enrichment in their enclosures. You basically have to recreate an ecosystem in a box. So they're definitely a more specialized pet. Like with bearded dragons and leopard geckos are two of the most common animals that I see needing homes. Because people get these bearded dragons and they're like this big. And then within a year, they're two feet long and they need a like a four foot long enclosure and people are like oh shoot i did not realize this and so people just get rid of them and there's also the aspect you know there's misinformation online people aren't caring for them correctly and so they'll get these animals with disabilities that are much more high maintenance than a healthy lizard to take care of and sometimes that's just too much for people to handle they maybe don't have the knowledge or experience to do that and so there's a lot of like, there's whole Facebook groups dedicated to reptile rehoming. There's Craigslist. You can always find a bearded dragon that needs a home on Craigslist. Um, even just word of mouth. I feel like what if you tell someone that you have a lizard, they're like, oh, do you want another lizard? I've got one that does not get enough love here. And I got a lot of my reptiles through word of mouth. I only got one from an actual reptile rescue here in Tucson. The rest of them was just people who needed rehoming, things that I came across on Facebook that like desperately needed help. Even people would just drop off animals at my veterinary clinic and they'd be like, do you want to take it? And I'm like, yeah, I'll do my best with it. So it's just, it's incredible. They're just so, they're misunderstood. And I think that comes into them want, being unwanted eventually, people getting bored of them. Because um, especially if you don't handle it correctly, they can turn into spicy animals for sure. And then people are like, oh, I can't handle it. I don't, can't play with it. Let's get rid of it. So, and then they live for a long time too. They're expensive. So a lot of, I have got one reptile rescue here in my local area. And it's just, it's an expensive thing to do. You really rely on those donations. Um, if you want to keep going, you kind of have to charge uh, an adoption fee because everything's so expensive. And that's like, one of the reasons that I didn't do that is because I just wanted them to go to loving homes. Like I had the funds myself and I did it on a very, very small scale. But with those bigger reptile rescues, it's something that you probably will have those animals there for a long time unless you find the right person. And it's sad to see like all these animals just being rehomed. There's not really like sheltered for them either. Like there are for dogs and cats. So it's just like independent people who are taking these animals in because someone didn't do their research or a chain pet store sold them. I have, I think over half of my animals were originally purchased from chain pet stores, from people who were not equipped with the knowledge to either properly care for them or to stay interested in them. And that's really unfortunate. And that's definitely one of my goals is making sure people know that these aren't, these aren't easy pets. Um, definitely they can be, they're not like, I don't want to make it sound like it's super complicated and scary, but you do need to do your research before getting into it. And that's why I want to make, you know, more reliable resources available online through humorous and engaging content. And that brings people in so they can actually learn about these before they get the animals. And they have a place to ask questions from people who have kept them and who have learned. And I think that's what's really beautiful about the Instagram community. They're all exotic pet keepers and we all share information and we learn from each other. And that way we can also teach people who are new, like inspire them to come, but also make sure that they're starting off on the right foot. So a lot of us who are a little bit older who got into it before, we we're like, 
we made mistakes. All of us made mistakes. No one can say that they've in the reptile community, they haven't made a mistake with their reptile care. But the big idea is just constantly improving. Yeah, I think that's all really amazing. I, I think that uh, it, it's kind of, you, you gave me a little bit of a flashback when it comes to this misconception that reptiles are, are super cheap to keep that happened all the time you know when i when i did work at a pet store where people like you know we didn't want to get a dog some people are like we don't want to get a hamster that's too expensive so we're just going to get a lizard i'm like whoa this is way more expensive than a hamster maybe more expensive than getting a dog so let's 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 talk about this let's talk about you know your uv light and what substrate you're going to use and all this kind of stuff having a big enough enclosure people like well i you know i am my cousin has a bearded dragon and it's in a 20 gallon or something and it's never gotten any bigger. I'm like, well, it's probably, you probably stunted its growth or something like that. So yeah, you're, you're giving me flashbacks with that. I don't know mm-hmm. why that's necessarily the, the case of people think that way, but it, it, it is, it is, it is what it is. Um, mm-hmm. Let's talk about, uh, you, you started talking about the, the social media community. So I want to ask you, what made you decide yourself that you wanted to, get involved in that and start sharing your, your passions beyond just, uh, I guess, beyond just your bedroom. So I started my reptile research. I was looking at a lot of the resources on Google that would just pop up. And I was like, that doesn't seem right. That's not what my vet said. So I kind of went to YouTube instead and I subscribed to creators and I learned from them. And when their little buttons that were like, follow me on Instagram or TikTok or whatever social media platform, I'd go follow them and find more and more exotic pet content creators. And it's really such a beautiful community that I wanted to be a part of to learn more and share information. There's so much valuable information, honestly, better information on Instagram, I feel like, than a lot of the Google resources. And there's so many beautiful animals and lots and lots of incredible content creators on social media that I know I have learned lots from. So I started posting my animals and making videos of them or with them to connect with these creators and continue learning. But I eventually started reaching people who weren't in the exotic pet community at all or were just baby exotic pet keepers. And I was able to introduce them to these exotic pets and educate them about the animals, answer people's questions. And as my videos started to take off, I sort of realized like the potential I had to become one of those creators that I looked up to when I first started and still do look up to. And I'm still primarily sharing my reptiles and educating on Instagram and I have art on various platforms. I plan to expand to YouTube and TikTok and like my own website to share even more like just education oriented videos. But of course, I'm still in school and I do work for both experience and for money to live and support my animals. So it's a project that I'm taking slowly to do my due diligence, research as much as possible and make sure I do a good job rather than rushing into it. But it's just it's incredible to be able to reach over to be like mutuals with the creators that I was like, oh my God, they're heroes. They're so, they're like these big like celebrities in the exotic pet community. They're like celebrities. And now I'm mutuals with them. And like, we talk on a daily basis and I'm like, this is so crazy. And I'm reaching like so many people, like inspiring them to either join the exotic pet community or like educating them on people who are already exotic pet keepers and like sharing all these different animals and like different ways to keep them too. Um, I'm a big advocate for bio ke- bioactive keeping, like I mentioned earlier, and that's slowly gaining more and more popularity. And I'm really, really happy to be a part of that. Yeah. Yeah. I want you to tell us because, you know, there's a lot of pluses on and everything. And you've spoken a little bit about that. 
uh, you, I mean, definitely speak on more on that if you'd like, but talk about, uh, you know, maybe some of the things that you didn't expect to come out of, of, uh, you know, putting yourself out there because putting yourself out there on social media, I've talked to influencers in a lot of different worlds, whether it's fitness or science or pretty much anything. And there's always, you know, there's always issues. There's always minuses to it. So talk a little bit about that and how you've been able to, I guess, navigate that because it's, it's, it's always, I mean, it's never, it's never easy. Definitely the first time somebody doesn't like what you're putting out that you put so much passion into. Right. Um, so of course the reptile community itself definitely does have some toxic people there. I've ran into breeders online who are just judgmental. The breeders, they think that keeping their big snake, their four foot long snake in a two foot tub with nothing but a little bit of substrate and a water bowl is perfectly fine. And if you talk to them about it, even if you do it in a polite way, they're just like, they go off on you, they block you, they make fun of the whole like, it's too fancy <laughs> reptile keeping. And they're like, it's, it's definitely okay. Like just a side note, it's definitely okay. You don't have to keep your reptiles in these bioactive setups, but making sure that they have, you know, enrichment, that they have proper space, that they've got variety, that they, they've got what they need to thrive is important. So it's disheartening to see breeders who still adhere, adhere to these like 1900s way of reptile keeping when there's so much information out there showing that these reptiles need more than the very basic. Um, and then toxic people that you find in every community, honestly, the homophobia and the misogyny. The only thing you can really do is hold them accountable and not be that person. Um, so my goal, I will never judge anyone. There are people who are like, oh, you rehomed your animals. That's so negative. But if you're in a place where you found that you got too many animals or you're just not as interested in an animal, you want to make sure that you are ethically rehoming those animals to someone who will take care of them properly. Um, and so I will never judge people for rehoming. I'll support them and I'll try to find places for the reptile to go. Um, but people who are just against people for being who they are, they're not people that I interact with. And I want my place to be accepting of people who are at all stages in life, um, wherever they are and whoever they are. And then less about the reptile community itself and more on social media in general. Of course, the big minus is that you can get to the wrong audience. Um, and I've been on all ends of the spectrum for people insulting and threatening my animals, to people insulting and threatening me. And no matter what you do, no matter who you are, or what your identity is, I think that will happen if you're putting yourself out there on social media. And I know, especially with female presenting people, it's, oh, it's so weird. Ex even in the exotic pet community, when you're sharing your passion in these animals and stuff, and then you get sexualized all the time. And that's a big minus. I can handle the sexualization, but it's not necessarily something that I ask for or want on my reptile page. And I know it's frustrating for other people, other reptile keepers who aren't. And then the parasocial relationships, like I've talked to so many female presenting reptile keepers that are like, this is so weird. <laughs> it's that like people get into that online bubble, they're behind a screen, they don't go outside and touch grass. And then it's like, we have to deal with the consequences of that. But that's just people, you know. But you know, the amazing support that I get from other reptile keepers and like, it sounds weird, but like hearing that they go through the same thing is like, okay, it's not the only one. I'm doing what I'm doing and I'm doing a good job. 
ignore them. Their opinions don't matter. That person with no face photo and 56 followers who hasn't done any, hasn't shared any sort of information telling me that I'm wrong. They, they're, they don't matter. It just doesn't matter. And it's like hard when you get a lot of that, especially as you grow, you get a lot more, but that just means you made it, I think. Yeah. Um, but knowing that I am doing good for the community and the support that I get from other reptile keepers and content creators, that's the biggest plus that no matter what happens, it makes me never want to quit for sure. No, I think those are all really important things. And do you, so do you look at it as, you know, when you see these negative comments, I'm not going to feed the trolls. I'm not going, mm -hmm. I'm just not going to engage. Or are you somebody who does want to, you know, educate these people? Cause there are keyboard warriors that sometimes if you just engage and, and I guess make them realize, Hey, there's another person on the other end of this with feelings and with thoughts and concerns that sometimes they, you know, learn something from it. So where, where are you at with it? Obviously if you get too much of it, you can't just spend your whole time dealing with that. But uh, what, what, what do you, I mean, what's your philosophy with it? Right. I think I'm somewhere in the middle. It depends on what the comment is. If it's something stupid, it's like, I'm just going to ignore that. Yeah. I'll leave the comment there for the engagement, but whatever, not my problem. But if it's something like someone telling me like, Oh, they'll be attacking like my way of keeping. Cause a lot of people have this myth that substrate any sort of loose substrate any sort of loose dirt will cause your animals disease that's a really old way of thinking but that's still unfortunately very common so if they're attacking something about my care or something that's something that i'm willing to have an open conversation about and then if it's something else like i've posted some videos about like my being neurodivergent and people there's always someone invalidating that and it's something that i will if I can come at it from an educational aspect, I definitely will if I have the time to respond to it. But if it's something that's just like petty and like it's like an insult that doesn't even matter, it's like, like what am I going to say to that? Like what good is it going to do to respond to it? Right, right. And, you know, the larger you get in a certain niche area, the more that I feel like people have these issues. And you talked about, you're talking about being neurodivergent and all these other different things. Do, do you feel a pressure to kind of, for lack of a better word, stay in this reptile lane because your your listeners and your audience doesn't like when you when you go different places? I've talked to a lot of people definitely like in, you know, the fitness community that, you know, they stress because now they don't want to just talk about that. But anytime they talk about anything else, people are like, this is not what I followed you for. Do you have any of that issue when you're talking about these other things or do you have you gotten lucky and your community is relatively accepting on you talking about whatever you want? So I have a really amazing community, but I will say one of the first times I went viral, I got 11 million views on a video that wasn't it was like sort of animal related, but not to the extent that I usually post. And that was the first time I went viral. So I got a lot of people who weren't necessarily following for the animals, especially the bugs. And so I shot up like 130,000 followers just like almost in a week and so after that there was definitely a period where like anytime I would post like my pet scorpion or my pet spiders or anything that was animal related I would get like thousands of unfollows a day and that was something that I think I thought was good because I got all these people who weren't here for the animals which is like my entire niche and it was unfortunate that I went viral for that video and not any of the other ones but that's Instagram for you um and I think that 
just being authentic and being myself online and posting about what I want, keeping my niche mainly animals, because that is like my biggest passion that my life sort of revolves around. But also throwing in like, here's some things that I'm doing at college. Here's my plants. You know, here are my little, my pet bugs and stuff. And, you know, sometimes I post things with books that I'm reading. And I think that just being authentic and being myself has really started has dropped away the people who are not here for that. And that's okay. You don't have to like stay if you're not interested. Um, and if you're not engaging, that, that it doesn't help me much. So, and I think I've finally gotten to the point where I filtered out the people who are not necessarily interested in the content that I post, but were interested in that one video. And I think it's important to just be authentic, be yourself, because that's the only way that you will cultivate the audience that you want. And you might experience a significant drop in followers. And that's okay, because you don't want to be catering to people who aren't there to support you. That's my take on it. Yeah, I love it. So what what was this video that went viral that wasn't anything to do with animals? It was one, there was like that trend a while ago that was like, things people had to come to terms with and then they'd be like punching like different reasons if you remember that trend it was big on tiktok like a year ago now um and mine was like reasons i can't go to sleep before 12 a.m and it was just like something i don't even remember what the reasons was but it was like school and then something and then nocturnal animals Mm. and it was like people were just following because i think it went viral and there was just there was a there wasn't any animals in the video itself it was just me And so people followed for that reason. And I think that once they realize they're, I'm actually posting the animals on here, it's not just like a a meme page or it's not just, it's not just going to be me. Um, They were like, oh, that's not really what I thought it was going to be. I guess I didn't check out her profile very much. Mm -hmm. And so that was the video that got like 11 million views. I have a few others that have gotten over a million views, but those ones were luckily more like they had animals in the video. And it was clearer, like what what the prof- what my page was about. Gotcha. So, what is I guess what's your you've talked about going to school and and finishing that degree. What what's your ultimate goal when it comes to herpetology? What are you what are you wanting to do? You you talked about kind of being a science communicator. Maybe that's the ultimate goal. But tell tell us a little bit if if we're talking to you in in five years, what what's the dream that you're what you're doing? Definitely. So I first started college as a biomedical engineer major um, because in high school I did robotics club and I found that it was really easy to relate that to animals. Like as part of our um, competition, I made a prosthetic wing for a chicken who had been injured by a coyote, one of my friend's chickens. Um, And I was like, this is so easy to apply it to animals. And then I saw like all the math and I was like, I don't know if this is something that I'm like really that passionate about. I'm not a math person at all. I know like there's some math, like there's, I think math is like an incredible subject and in once you understand it, but my college does not have the best math department. And that always brings down a subject. Like I study math all the time. I love business math. I do business math because of, you know, my, my personal business. But then I thought I was like, I'm more of an earth science girly. So I'm going to go look over there. And that's when I really, I was getting more into reptiles. And I was like, you know, I think I would really like to, you know, specialize in this. And I think with a lot of people who are into animals, they really see veterinary medicine as like the only way to work with animals hands on when that's not true at all. But I found that out later. 
And that's why I started double majoring in biology, too, to give myself these options. I would still really love to be a veterinarian. Um, after college, I'm definitely going to be working as a vet tech for a few years to get more experience and make sure that it is something that I am willing to pour hundreds of thousands of dollars and years into because it's a strenuous career. It's hard to get into the schools. It's like it's med school, but you're there's less colleges to get into. So it's more selective. And then you're learning about all these other species. And it's not something that I want to, I want to work to live, not live to work. Mm. And it feels like, unfortunately, the mental health support in the veterinary industry is not so much there. The work-life balance, it's completely understaffed and underfunded. I am hoping that because the pet industry is growing so much and people are caring so much deeper for their pets now than they did, say, like 20 years ago or even 10 years ago, I am hoping that that continues to improve. But right now, the veterinary industry has the highest suicide rate of all professions behind dentists. Uh, So that kind of speaks to the general just like environment that the veterinarians deal with. And I do think if I decide that that is like my passion, I feel like I could definitely make a difference because I've shared on my social media, like I'm a suicide attempt survivor. I feel like I could definitely share that with people and, you know, make the world, make the community more mentally, mental health aware. Um, so I'm definitely gonna be working as a vet tech, seeing if that's something that I want, that's something that I'm really passionate about. Um, and then just talking to veterinarians in the field, seeing how they balance it, seeing if it's, if their life is something that I would like to live. And if that doesn't work out, I would love to keep doing what I'm doing here, but just on a more journalistic style of being a science communicator, um, just like observing animals and just like doing research with them and just like studying the natural world, being some sort of biologist or zoologist and sharing that information with the world in a way that's, that's in layman's terms so that they can understand it and that they really come to appreciate it because there's just there's so many animals that we're learning like that haven't even been recorded yet there are animals that are going extinct while there are hundreds more to be discovered still and recorded and it's just it's this it's an ever-growing field that I would love to be a part of and help with that sort of science revolution that's going on right now no that's all exciting and we'll have to follow along to see exactly what happens but and I, I've got two final questions. The next one is just, we've talked all about your passion behind animals and what that passion is eventually going to lead you to, but what passions do you have outside of, outside of the animal world? What other, what other things do you, do you enjoy? So of course, plants. Um, I feel like that sort of goes hand in hand with my passion for my animals, <laughs> with the bioactive setups. And I've really, especially with those setups, I've gotten way more into the plant world. And I'm like, this is a hobby in itself. There are people who are collecting plants and I've gotten more into that and like all these like rare plants. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so fascinating. Um, so that's really my bioactive setups definitely started my love of knowledge for these different plants and botany in general. Um, I also love writing. As I mentioned before, I worked in writing related jobs for about five years now and written for fun since I was very young. And sort of related to that, I'm a big reader. I actually just got a book today called Modder's Reptile and Amphibian Medicine and Surgery. It's a big, hefty textbook looking thing. It looks really interesting. So I'm super excited (laughs) to read that. I do a lot of the nonfiction reading, but I also enjoy like fantasy, historical fiction is a big one for me. 
Um, and I think lastly, I'm passionate about, you know, inspiring and supporting women and girls in STEM. I do a lot of work with that, with clubs at school and with my own organizations and even online on Instagram, sort of in an indirect way. And just making sure that, you know, it's not a scary thing. It's not a man's world anymore. It's really not. And just helping them and educating them. And I feel like a cool thing about the feminine side of STEM is that in that community, there's just much more mental health support and there's more talking and there's like, you don't have to be professional all the time. You don't have to be like a stiff, like lab coat, always dress pants. Like you can be fun and feminine and talk about your mental health and other things while still being in that sort of high career. It's not a scary thing that you have to change your life for. And then also spreading awareness about neurodivergence. That's definitely a passion of mine. Um, I've done, let's see, I work now in education and student success. And I always make sure to include a workshop as the manager. I can do workshops when I want. I always make sure to include a workshop um, talking about neurodivergence, the stereotypes, the stigmas um, on what the reality is. Now, that's my passion. I also love just exercising. Um, going on hikes, especially sharing the natural world while getting that exercise in. I feel like it exercise in general. I talked about mental health earlier. I feel like it goes hand in hand. I talk a lot on Instagram about we should be taking care of ourselves the same way we take care of our reptiles, doing the best for ourselves as much as we can. We make sure our reptiles get exercise. We should make sure we get exercise. We make sure our reptiles get a good variety of fruits and vegetables. We should do that, too. So like really self-care is an important part of my life. Definitely. No, that's, that's all amazing. I want you to tell us now um, how we can follow along. We've, we've heard so much about you. People want to, uh, to see where this next five years are going to take you. Mm -hmm. They want to see exactly some of these videos that you're talking about. Where, uh, where can people follow along with all things Dakota? Definitely. My Instagram is inspire exotics, just all one word, nothing weird in it. Um, and that's where I post the majority of my videos. I've got all my links in bio for my YouTube and my TikTok to my website. I've got an email button in there. If people have questions, I'm definitely more likely to respond to email than I am to Instagram DMs just because of the volume that I get. Um, and I'm always, I'm always open to asking questions. I have definitely this summer when I have more time want to host lives weekly so people can just ask questions and we can talk about them with everyone. Because if one person has a question, everyone's got a question. So that's definitely Instagram primarily. And that's, again, that's Inspire Exotics. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, this was fun. Thank you so much for having me. So that was Dakota. Amazing person. Such a pleasure to speak with. I learned so much about reptiles and, and that world and why, you know, it's probably not right that we're so afraid of them, but I think that's so built in. It might be hard. But if you're at all interested in the reptile world, I urge you to check her out. Go follow along on Inspire Exotics. All of her links will be in the show notes. Amazing resource for you to, to learn more about that world. So highly recommend you checking uh, checking out all things Dakota and all things Inspire Exotics. Um, I want to mention just briefly that you know she mentions a few very important topics, very big topics as far as you know being in the foster care system, being a suicide attempt survivor, being neurodivergent, a lot of really big topics that, you know, we could have spent an entire conversation, entire podcast talking about. Of course, we were talking about herpetology, so I don't want you to feel like I just brushed those off. We talked about it afterwards that I didn't want that to, to be the case. 
either. Um, but of course, we talked about the reptiles. Um, I think Dakota coming back and, and talking a little bit more about those experiences would certainly be a, a powerful one. She's, she's so good with uh, communication and talking about those things that I think that uh, I think we can learn a lot there as well. But again, we kind of just stuck with, with the things that, uh, that, that we were talking about today. Um, some of those things I had no idea about, so I didn't really even, uh, even have a question set up for it. But I do think that, uh, I, I think that she's a, a powerful voice in, in, in a lot of different worlds. And, and uh, I think we could learn a lot from her from, from more than just that. So even more, reason to, uh, even more reason to follow her. So go check that out. Links in the show notes. If you want to follow us, Not Enough Podcast on Instagram. Um, not in help with Jackson F on Facebook. Give us the five stars on Apple and on Spotify. Leave a written review on Apple. Always appreciate that. Um, but we'll catch you next week. Take it away, Chris. This has been Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think, or hey, maybe even both. But until then, keep being awesome.